Hey, take your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter four. Any other announcements? In the back there, anybody? Stairs. Tosh, you good? Everyone good? Let's read and let's conclude this book and let's trust the Lord for what he has for us. Philippians four, I'm gonna start in verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, that's a contrasting thought. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's got me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Thank you for acting. Thank you for doing what you did. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that's Europe, no church shared with me according to giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, that was real nearby Philippi, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with you all. Amen. And Father, we thank you for the book of Philippians. Lord, if we spent the better half of Lord this last year in Philippians, studying from Paul's perspective in prison, that Lord, he wasn't gonna let the things of his world and his circumstances dictate what was going on in his life and what he was dealing with. And in Jesus' name, we pray now that your word hidden in our heart, Lord, would keep us also on that path of righteousness and purpose. Lord, that you would anoint South Beach Church and, and, and the church of Jesus, Lord, up and down the coast to shine bright. And even today, Lord, speak to our hearts through your word. You promised that your word would not return void, but it would do, Lord, that which you set it out to do, that it would water and produce fruit. Lord, that it would challenge and comfort and direct and correct. And so we thank you, Jesus. We pray for all these things, Lord, to happen for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Look at verse 13 again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Nevertheless, he says in verse 14, you've done well that you shared in my distress. It would seem these two verses are intention. Paul essentially is saying, I don't need anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm self-sufficient. And we understood a couple weeks ago that that's what that word contained means. Content. To be content, he's contained. He literally needs nothing. Have you got to that place in your life yet? Everyone shake your head. No, we're Americans. We're working on it. We're working on it. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet this tension in verse 15, verse 14 I should say, nevertheless you've done well that you've helped out in my distress. It would appear that God has given to us everything we need, but also the things we need he's given to us through other people. See, we're not supposed to be islands separated from one another, but instead we're supposed to be walking in fellowship with each other. And the things that God has given to me, he's given to you. And the things that he's given to you, he wants you to share them with his body. And yet we can do it independently with the Lord, but we have to do it dependently with each other. Anybody confused yet? This is the challenge. Knowing that who God has made you to be. I was in the hallway. What's your daughter's name? Maria. Maria was showing me some drawings that she put together. And I was looking at these drawings and I was mind blown at them because they were so good. And I told Maria, I was like, hey, you know what? Just so you know, I can't draw anything. 
I can't even write a stick figure. I can't even, my, but God's given to her a gift and God's given to me different gifts. Let me just ask this question. What gifts have God, has God given to you? What's your personality? What's your experience, the wisdom? What age, what gender? None of that's a mistake. God's placed you here for such a time as this to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be for his glory and for others' good. And he wants us to be intentional. Paul says that in verse 14. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Paul notes that it was them that were the only people that shared with him in his distress and in his need and in the ministry. And they did it at the beginning, they did it in the middle, and they're doing it now in the end. I've said this before and you've heard it also. It's not so much important how you begin as much as it is how you end. Amen? Because your beginning might be awesome, but your ending might be eh, not so awesome. Or your beginning might not be so great. It might be all over the place. But God says, hey, today's the day of grace and mercy. You can start to do the next right thing today. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of forgiveness. Today's the day of getting your act together for the things of God. Paul said to the church of Philippi, you guys have been doing this from the beginning all the way even to right now. Now, it's interesting that he uses them as an illustration. Verse 16, he says, For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. Stop right there, ice up here. Paul now is historically writing this in this book that everyone's going to read. He's thanking them personally and directly, but you and I are now reading this kind of email that was sent to them. So would the church at Thessalonica, so would the church at Berea, so would the church in Ephesus. All these people would read and say, Wow, those guys in Philippi, they're generous, they're doing it right. And I believe Paul does this, and I believe that the Lord does this by way of example. You see, some of the things that we do in our Christian life are the right thing to do, and you should do them because God tells us to do them. Amen? Giving, serving, praying, loving, forgiving, all these things that God tells us to do. It's the right thing. It's going to be accounted to your account directly. But did you know that some of the things that God tells you, this is going to change your life, that some, listen, some of the things that God tells you to do aren't just for you, but for the example that you set for others? Other people are going to see what you do, and they're going to be impacted and inspired. Because so often, I'll cancel myself out of something that God is asking me to do, because I don't see the immediate value, or the immediate merit, or the immediate need to do it right then and there. And the Lord says, Luke, do it because I said to. I'm going to use you to encourage somebody else. I'm going to use you to set an example for your kids. Your kids are watching you. Your neighbor's kids are watching you. The people around you at the business that you work are watching you. The people in your family are watching you. Your spouse is watching you. And sometimes I'll make this decision, well, I don't really need to do that for me. It doesn't really make sense. And the Lord says, hey, set an example. I heard one person put it this way. As goes the pulpit, so goes the pew. That whatever your leadership influence does will be the leadership influence that becomes. This is seen in homes. This is seen in businesses. It's called top-down influence in leadership, and God asks us to be those who are setting the example, doing the right things, because oftentimes we don't think our gifts and serving matter. We don't see how it's going to impact others. Let me ask this question. What if everyone that you knew and know gave monetarily or sacrificially the same way you do? What if everyone prayed the same way you prayed? What if everyone served and volunteered and gave themselves over the exact same way you did? How would that leadership influence and serving look around you in your life? This is a challenge I believe that the Lord wants us to wrestle with 
because as it goes in your leadership, it will go in the people that are following you. Would people give more if they gave just like you or would they give less? Would they pray more? This is again, I wrote these thoughts down last night. I was like, man, I don't wanna ask people this question. I don't, I'm not praying enough. I'm not leading enough. I'm not serving enough. If everyone did exactly what Luke Frechette did, I don't know if it would be better or worse. You, you decide. And yet the Lord calls us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus to keep moving forward. You could ask these questions about your prayer life and your forgiving others, the fruit of the spirit. Here's the question. Is your life worthy of emulating and following after? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You ever read that before? Like, dang, Paul, that's hardcore. And I'm not sure if I could say that in every season of my life, do exactly what I do. Pray the same, give the same, serve the same, love the same as I do. There's some days where you want to. It's called Facebook moments where you put the post on there. Like, I did something great. It's usually a selfie involved, you know. There's other days where it's like, man, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Well, Paul here uses the church at Philippi in contrast to the church at Thessalonica saying that when I was there, they didn't give, but you did. Do it by way of example. Look at verse 17. I want you to see Paul's heart in all of this. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul says, my whole purpose in writing this letter to you, church of Philippi, my whole purpose in pointing things out, my whole purpose in my life is not so I can get fruit, but that so you can have fruit. He's not after their money and after their stuff, but he wants to make sure that they're blessed, not just here on earth, but also in heaven for eternity. Do you have any friends like this in your life? Do you have anybody in your life that's always asking you questions, spurring you forward, challenging you? Anybody in your life that's wanting you to be motivated and move forward? Let me ask you a different question. Are you this way in anybody's life? Paul says, hey, I'm not seeking anything, but I am seeking something for you. These people are kind of rare, aren't they? Folks that come into your life and coach you, they encourage you, they challenge you, they move you forward, constantly encouraging you to grow in your faith, continuing your walk with Jesus. And it's nothing to do with them, but only because they truly want to see you get blessed and move forward. If you know somebody like this, pray for them. Value them, surround yourself by them. If you have any sort of gifting in your life to be this person, I was just meditating on these thoughts, could I say that about all my friends? Guys, I don't want anything from you. Here's what I really want. I want you to be the best you could possibly be. I want you to grow. I want you to excel. I want your account to abound. Can you imagine if every single believer in Jesus Christ had that perspective in their life for every single person in their life? I just want you to grow. I just want you to grow. Has somebody ever asked you before how you doing? You get super mad at the question. Why are you asking how I'm doing? What's it tell you? You know. And they're like, well, I literally want you to do better. Oh, you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. I want you to do better. We have this weird reaction to when people ask us questions or challenge us or encourage us forward. Maybe it's just me. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's, we get this weird idea, though. Recently, I went to go get some momiji. And uh, I was getting my lunch there. And the girl that was working there, she asked me where I work out. And, and I said, I just woke up this way. And uh, just, you know. Just Momiji and waking up on time, you know, and I'm just kidding. I told her I do CrossFit. I said I work out at the CrossFit gym primarily, and she asked me how much it costs. And so I told her the, the price break, and she kind of said, well, that sounds expensive. I said, well, here, here's the deal. I said, you're not wrong, but it's worth it. I said, when you go to the CrossFit gym, what you get is personal training. You get somebody there that's going to not only help keep you safe and make sure you're doing the movements right, but they're going to challenge you, and they're going to move you forward into movements you would never do for yourself. 
There's going to be accountability there. There's going to be community, and there's going to be creativity and variety. All these things that come along that most of us wouldn't position ourselves in or expose ourselves to. And if you go to a normal gym, which is fine, nobody's going to hold you accountable. People put their earbuds in. They don't want to talk to you. They don't care how you're doing. And yet if you go to the right gym or if you go to the right church or if you read the Bible the right way, God's there looking at you saying, hey, that's going to hurt you. That's going to mess you up. You're doing that wrong. Well, you're just judging me. No, I'm not just judging you. I care for you. And I think you can do a little more weight here. Oh, you're just mad at me want me to sweat. And the Lord would say, I don't, this isn't for me, it's for you. Isn't that crazy? This is why accountability groups are so important. Life groups are so important. Families and friendships are so important. There's something within our perverse nature. We see it in Adam and Eve in chapter three of the book of Genesis. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they began to cover themselves and hide themselves and excuse themselves. This is what we do. We make excuses for skipping Bible study. We make excuses for being stingy. We make excuses for dabbling in things of sin. We just kind of hide ourselves. Why are you And the Lord, he's so good. Remember in Genesis three, when God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, let's just chase a rabbit here. Did God truly lose his firstborn son? Did, did God not know where Adam was? Like, oh my gosh, I lost my kid. Like at the mall, you lose your kid at the mall, it's the worst. Like, ah, security, you know. God knew fully well where Adam was, but Adam had left the, the fold of grace and purpose. And so God just said, Adam, what's going on? Where are you? Hard question to answer. Because he wanted Adam back. He wanted Adam in the fold. He wanted Adam that fellowship and so to Paul's heart here, and this is so important for you who are Bible students, you who want to produce fruit, you want to keep growing, to look at the Lord and say, Lord, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. As you read God's word, and you're like, well, I don't like that part, mm, too serious, well, that part's really crazy. What do you think God's heart is? His heart is for your account to be full. He wants you to be the best spiritual athlete you could possibly be. And he wants to warn you in those areas of compromise, those areas that are going to hurt you, they are going to rob you, those areas where you've been taken advantage of, like Adam and Eve who were deceived and lied to. And even when he asks you those questions, why would you do that? It's not that you're in trouble, it's that God's in love with you. Again, you who are parents and have disciplined your kids and you have to have those hard talks when the kids start getting out of order, it's because you love them. If you're honest, most parents don't love those hard talks. Like, oh, man, I got to deal with this kid who's doing this. Oh, just. But you do it because you want them to grow. And you want their fruit to continue. Now, the question I asked you, I said, who do you have in your life that's like that? Maybe, maybe a few people come to your mind. My friend Daniel Fox, he's a pastor in... in Coos Bay, and, and he's one of those guys where if I text him or call him, he's going to encourage me. He's going to challenge me. He's going to ask me good questions. And, and, I, and I trust him, and I love him. And we're kind of on the same level, but he, he's a catalyst. He spurs me forward. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Sarah Yardley's kind of like that. She's running around right here. And, and Sarah Yardley, if you know Sarah Yardley, I think she's on fire by the Holy Spirit himself. You know, just, you know. And she'll ask you, how you're doing? Did you read your Bible today? And did you pray? And are you happy? You're like, I didn't do any of those things. Stop asking me, you know. And yet I'm so grateful for people who are anointed and, and carry that purpose for no other reason except that we would be blessed. What if we chose to do that at South Beach Church? Let's just love each other. Let's encourage each other. 
You have to see it in this, in this context and, and, and decide to be that person and receive that from other folks as well. Paul was constantly concerned with others, how they were doing and where they were going and what was gonna become of their lives. This will change your entire perspective to the neighborhood you're in, to the church you're going. We're so selfish. I already alluded to it during the communion time. I think in Acts chapter 17, I was reading it a couple days ago. And in Acts 17, Paul's an outsider. He doesn't even belong there. And he looks around and he sees that the people are so confused in their hearts. They're given over to idols of all different sorts. And the Bible says he's provoked in his heart. So immediately he goes into the synagogue. Apparently there was at least 10 male Jews. So there was a small group of Jews there. And he begins to tell them about Jesus and they kick him out. So then he goes into the Saturday market. He begins to tell them about Jesus and they kick him out. So he goes to Mars Hill, this bigger market. And they say, hey, you know what? You're kind of crazy. We like you. We'd like to hear about this. And they set him up on this thing called Mars Hill. And he preaches Jesus to them. Now he's solo at this point. The Bible says that Luke and Silas were in Berea. They put him on a train or a boat because they're gonna try and kill him there. And can you imagine if they put you on a boat by night because these guys are gonna come kill you, get out of here. And so as soon as you get to Athens, you're like, I'm just gonna do the same thing here until they try and kill me. Paul wouldn't stop, no matter what. In a sense, horizontally, he's my hero in that way. I wanna be a guy like that. Roy's sitting right here, he's got a shirt, Jesus is real. I love that shirt, it's so red. Because you wear that shirt, it's like, whoa, that's offensive, bro. Why are you getting in my business, you know? And yet, we can do it with love. I want you to grow. I want you to grow. I want you to grow. And I want you to want me to grow. And wouldn't that just purify everything? And Paul says it's so simple, but verse 17, not that I seek the gift. He's asking them, thanking them for giving. Thanks, guys, for being a church. You guys are so amazing. You gave, you gave, you gave. Hey, just so you know, it wasn't for my account. It literally, verse 17 that it would abound to your account. And Paul loved people, whether they were sinners or saints, he wanted them to know Jesus and to keep growing. Now Paul was a master leader and he excelled in three separate areas which you've all heard before. I'm gonna teach them to you again quickly. And it should be seen in every leader, it should be seen in every church and it should be seen in every Christian. And Paul did this, his life was modeled by this. He did these three E's, he exalted the Lord, he equipped the body, and he evangelized the lost. Everywhere Paul went, he was on mission for other people's account, and the three ways we do that is by, number one, exalting the Lord. It was all for God's glory. Everywhere Paul went, he made sure that it was for his glory and his glory alone. He knew that whatever he did had to give God the glory. It was his plan, that's God's plan. It was God's mercy, God's power, God's kingdom. And Paul constantly stirred people up, reminding them that the gifts and personalities and the life that God's given to you isn't for your enjoyment and glory alone, but it's for God's glory. Do you remember that? Do you know that right now? Does that change anything in your life? Why you're doing what you do? Because I believe that if your life can be used for God's glory, God's gonna give to you, listen, more life. He's just gonna double click. Oh, oh my glory's safe with that guy. Oh my glory's safe with that girl. She gets it. Oh, more glory, more virtue, more life poured into your account because when you know why you exist, God then can give you more life. So Paul exalted the Lord and he edified the believers and that's kind of where I'm getting to in this point. Paul only ever sought to encourage and strengthen, lead, train, correct, rebuke, and rescue others for God's glory and for their good. This takes a decision every day, doesn't it? To live your life for the glory of God and the good of others. And your joy will only ever be experienced to the fullness when you don't live for yourself but for the success of another. 
a couple years ago, I, when I first moved to Newport, I started uh, coaching uh, wrestling with Tim Kaufman back here and a couple other guys. And I remember it was a hard transition for me because I was still young at the time. I think I was like 33 when I moved back here. and Now I'm only 30, 36, you know, and um, whatever. And, he, and I remember I was coaching, but I, I wanted to wrestle still. I wanted to show these kids how good I was, you know? So I'd be out there with like the freshmen, just like pinning them, you know, and throwing them around, you know, and making, them, making sure they knew who was boss. And then we would get to game day, to meet day, you know, we'd go to matches. And here I was coaching these kids to win. And, and it took about a year of coaching to really fall in love with me not being on the mat, but them being on the mat. To transition, because I, I was an athlete, but now I'm not an athlete. I believe that there's a season where successful athletes get into coaching because they see the value in helping other people excel, other people be equipped, other people be successful in the things of life. I'm, I'm gonna, let me say what I just said again. It wasn't easy, though. I wanted to continue to do it myself. And the Lord said, hey, that's over, bro. You, you now exist for the betterment of other people. The gifts God's given to you, the experience as a mom or dad, as a husband or a wife, as a single person, as a business owner, as, a, as, a, as an athlete, as a golfer, as a, as a pro, hey, you now exist for the good of others and for the glory of God. This is the equipping of the body. When I first began to teach the Bible, and even still to this day, there's a challenge at times to make sure people know how much I know. Eh, not the goal. Not the goal. The goal as a good Bible teacher or as a good leader is to make sure that the people you're leading know more than you do, that they'll take it further than you ever could, that they'll excel in their walk. My goal now is to grab people that are behind me, maybe in theory, physically or spiritually or emotionally, I'm I'm their leaders, to grab them and to hopefully catapult them forward that they would know more. And this, imagine if this was your goal as a life group leader or a, a manager, to raise people up and say, hey, I'd like to give you what I know. It's, it's not much, but man, if you just double click on it and give it to the Lord, you could do great things. Take it further. This is Paul's heart to exalt the Lord and to edify the believers. First question about exalting the Lord is, how are you giving glory to God right now? This begins in your heart, by the way, because you're not giving God glory for everything you're doing, everything you have. It's not gonna come out visibly. Or obviously, second question in regards to these points is who are you coaching right now? And how can you coach them better? Is there anybody in your life you're influencing right now? Maybe young people, maybe even older people, different people, doesn't matter how old they are. And you want them to do better than you ever could imagine. Celebrating their victories, celebrating. And not only did he exalt the Lord and edify the believers, he evangelized the lost. Paul's writing this to the church at Philippi. He says, this is not about me. It literally is all about your account because I want more people to be saved. He has an evangelist heart. He loves the body. And sometimes you see churches or ministry people that only want evangelism and some only want equipping and edification, but you gotta have both. It's gotta be that, that mindset that says, Lord, we're here to win the world. We're here to let our light so shine before men that they see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus taught us this in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you're gonna receive my power and you're gonna go be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to South Beach. This is what God's doing. Well, Paul exemplified this and did this. Let me just get a little bit more out of verse 17 before we move on. Paul wanted their account to be full and ready for judgment day. You guys know judgment day is coming, don't you? There will be a judgment. 
let me clarify this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins, your rebellions, your bad deeds have already been judged on Jesus Christ. He's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He absorbed in himself to death the sins of the world, bearing the punishment and shame, offering his righteousness to the Lord. Your sins, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, have been paid for, atoned for, the propitiation for your sins. That's the replacement for all of your mistakes has been paid. There will not be a judgment for you. Not in that sense. Amen? Amen. How many of you guys are a little bit more fired up about that? Amen. Yeah. Ah! You know, I'm not messing around. It would be bad news. However, the Bible teaches there's a different judgment. It's the judgment. It's called the Bema Seat judgment. It's the Bema Seat is the same type of judgment that you would see in the Olympics when you stand on the podium and you bow down and they put on the gold or the silver or the bronze medal. They say, you did such a good job. Here's your reward. And God promises us there will be a day. Oh my gosh. You lived sacrificially. Here's your reward. Here's a crown. Here's, here's, here's your reward for your faith, for your offering. And in heaven, there will be a judgment for each and every one of us. I promise you. And this judgment, this idea is intended to motivate us to live our lives, not for our own selfish interests, but for the interests and betterment of others. Because naturally, we're very selfish and we're interested in ourselves. So God promises you, hey, if you give anything for me, prayer, service, sacrifice, love, forgiveness, it will not be outgiven. I will outgive you. God says to us, I will be in debt to no man. And so when we understand this principle, see Jesus, he was on his way to Jerusalem the days before he was crucified. And the Bible says he was hungry, so he went to this fig tree to get some figs. And the Bible says he examined it and all he found were leafy branches. It was all show. There was no fruit and so what did Jesus do? He killed that fig tree. A little aggressive, a little extreme. But I believe it was an example that there's supposed to be fruit in our lives, not just leafy show. It's not just for other people to think we're fruitful when we're really not fruitful. It's a warning. Jesus, that was in Mark 13, by the way. And in Luke 13, Jesus, or Mark 11, and in Luke 13, Jesus told a parable one time. It was a fake story to communicate a real point. And the real point was this, or the fake story is this. He said there was an owner of a vineyard who went to this fig tree, and after three years, there was no figs. And so finally, the owner said to the vine dresser, he's like, hey, cut this tree down. It's been three years now, no fruit. Speaking of Israel, by the way, with the ministry of Jesus. And he said, cut this tree down. And the vine dresser said, whoa, 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 not yet. Let me give you a suggestion. He said, before you cut it down, let's dig around the root system. Let's pull back some of the stuff that's kind of encroached upon this fruit-bearing tree. It should have, let's pull some stuff back and let's fertilize it and let's give it another shot and let's see if it doesn't become fruitful. Did you know the same is true with your life? God looks at your life and if there's a season of non-fruitfulness, okay, it happens, it happens, okay? Could even just be a day or a week or a month or a year, God forbid a decade, but it happens, and the Lord said, hey, let's dig around the roots. What's going on? Let's pull back some of the stuff that's keeping out the nutrients. Let's deal with the unfruitfulness of your life. And let's pour in then the fertilizer, the word of God, the light of God, the Holy Spirit. Let's do This is God's heart and intention for you. It's so clear. In John 15, last illustration before we move on, Jesus said that my Father's heart is that you produce fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. John 15 that's what I'm looking for. And we know that the fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, goodness, self-control. God wants us to be more like him. 
Because when you have these things, you won't be fruitless. You won't be barren. You'll be fruitful. And God forbid that there be anybody at South Beach Church, myself included, that the Lord pulls back my leafy branches saying, Luke, I was looking for some love. I didn't see any today. I was looking for some peace and some patience and kindness. I was looking for some generosity, some goodness, some self-control. And don't you just, let's just go, let's get human real quick. Don't you feel just a little picked on when someone's inspecting your fruit? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, in my flesh, I don't like fruit inspectors, you know? Inspecting my fruit for man. Get out of here, you know? What's God's heart? God's heart, that's what Paul says. Hey, this isn't about me. It's not, it's really, my, I want your account to abound. I want you to get to heaven on the beam of seat judgment. And how cool to hear this message and to study this truth and to take it in deep and say, yes, Lord, thank you for the breath in my lungs. I got I got a pulse a little bit fast this morning. I'm like, I got a pulse. You know what the pulse means? I got a purpose. I can live right. I can do things. Only one life that will soon pass and only things done for Christ will last. And this is what the Lord does. He fertilizes us. He pulls back some of the stuff that's keeping that fruit out. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be fruitful. This is encouraging me. I hope, I hope you have a good coach, a spiritual coach, maybe even an athletic coach. A relational coach. Somebody's telling you, hey, it's not too late. It's not too late to start giving, to start growing, to start thriving. It's not too late. It's never too late until it's too late. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that God wants to do something in our lives. Look at verse 18. Let's move on to some new territory here. He says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. I love Paul. He's in jail, wanting them to make sure that he's not suffering, that he's completely content. Yeah, I got your gift from Epaphroditus. That was amazing. It's going to help me write letters and send out this ministry and, and continue to advance the cause of Christ. But I want you guys to know something. I'm so full. I have all and abound in all. Now, is this the kind of perspective you would have incarcerated in a Roman jail? Paul's on another level. He's on another level. And yet, if you're honest, and I can't speak for you, you can only speak for yourself, but I can speak for myself. If I look at my life from time to time, I'm not fully content, not fully happy, not fully full of joy, and the Lord would look at my life and say, wow, pretty sure you have all and abound in all and need nothing. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. And really what it is is it's a perspective. No matter how bad it gets for you, okay, even if it gets Paul bad, no matter how bad it gets for you, if you're a believer, you have all and abound in all. There's nothing more that you need. As a matter of fact, have you fallen prey to the needs of the world, of your flesh? Oh, man, I just need that. I need that. And until I get that, I, I'm really hurting. I'm really bad off. Because it's a perspective. And yet when you finally, fully, completely get to that place like Paul was, he said, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This happens daily, by the way, does it not? Over the, on Tuesday, we went out to the LC campground. I was with the staff and, and our families. We had a staff family camp this week. It was so great. And sometimes when you wake up after camping, you don't wake up great. Has ever done this before? And you just wake up and one night it, it rained, you know, six and a half inches on the tents and all that, you know. And, 
And, and it was just crazy. There's this up and down. And I remember one day I was just, man, I was just down. Just that morning, just down. The clouds were out. The sun wasn't and stuff was, you know, all this. But then after spending some time in the word and spending time just, you know, waking up and, oh, I'm better now. I'm better now. It's a perspective. And maybe right now you don't have joy in your life because you're waiting for something else outside of you to change. Well, as soon as they let go, as soon as that comes through, as soon as this happens, then I'll be happy. Don't postpone joy. Don't postpone the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Don't postpone peace and patience and kindness. Don't postpone faith, love, and hope. As a matter of fact, if you're in a Pauline jail cell and a situation experience that's not perfect, how much more glorious to in that moment be content? How much more glorious to be joyful? As a matter of fact, when things break free for you and you get the provision and the, the raise comes your way or the relationship buds and something and then you're happy? Duh. There's no real glory in that. But when you as a man or a woman are being tested and challenged and choose to say, I'm good. I have all and abound in all. That's a testimony to the world around you. That is worship to your God. That I believe is worth trusting in the Lord in all things. Look at verse 19. He says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Here's Paul in jail saying, dude, I'm full. I have everything I need. By the way, God's gonna also give you everything you need. All of your needs will be supplied by God's glory, riches through Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say all of your greeds will be taken care of. You know what I'm saying? Let's just be honest. How many guys have more greeds than you have needs? Like we're in America, like, ah, I think it's all greed at this point. <laughs> you know, I got so much stuff. He says, God will take care of your needs. And by the way, God will determine what you need. You might say, well, I need this, this, and this. But if you have a perspective like Paul, you can say, well, apparently what I need is what I have. This is the situation I need right now in my relationships, in my health. The Bible promises that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose and don't walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Everything's, everything counts. There are certain seasons in your life where you're like, ah, I don't know if I like this time. God says you need it. This is gonna lead us to that path. This is gonna take us over to this area. This is gonna produce this opportunity. This is the only way that this jewel, this gem, this faith comes to you. And I tell you what, God has given to you everything you need. Your job is to simply believe him and to rejoice in what you've received. Notice though the promise here, and I don't think that this is a bad thing to call upon this promise in time of need. If you're a faithful giver, this again is to the church at Philippi. They're a faithful bunch, and Paul says, hey, you be faithful to God, he's gonna be faithful to you, just watch out. He'll do it. He'll supply all your needs. And if you need something right now, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you need something from the Lord, it's probably not a, it's not a bad thing to quote this verse to him. Say, Lord, would you provide all my needs? Because you will. How will he do it? According to his riches. How rich is God? I go to my account sometimes, you know, log in there and look and shut it down quickly, oh, you know. If you were to log into God's account and see like what he owns, there'd just be one line, just one. You know what it'd say? Everything. <laughs> Everything? Okay, we're good, you know. His riches, man. But it's not just his riches. It says here in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. 
God owns everything, but he's going to give to you only that which is going to guarantee his glory. Do you believe that? Settle into this fact. God has given to you what you have because what you have will get his glory the most. You might think it would do, you know, this or that. Or I wish I would have got a little more of this when you were giving out stuff. God says, no, this is going to give me the most glory, Luke. I'll just, I'll just stretch this out. I, I follow pastors all over the world, and I, I just, I'm a connoisseur of churches and ministry. I just love the church. I love the kingdom. I love what God's doing. I see it. I wonder, wow, look at that church. Wow, so cool, you know. Whoa, look at that pastor, the way he does. Wow, so cool. You know? Wow, and just, you know, it's, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm just so glad that the Lord has said, Luke, I need you to glorify me in Newport. That's where I want you. This is, what, this is my choice. This is where I want you to grow. You, you go there. You stay there. Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't worry about how tall that person is or how rich they are, how big their business is or how they're, you, you, right here. This is where you're gonna be the most glorifying to me. Isn't that awesome? And you can look at your spouse or look at your kids or look at your stuff and say, this is it. This is it. Yeah, this is gonna glorify God. And you learn from other people, be, be encouraged from other people. But so often you can go from learning and being encouraged to idolizing and coveting and, and wanting what other people have. And then being dissatisfied with who you are, where God's made. He will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And when you trust him and say, yeah, Lord, let me glorify you. Let my life be given. Let my life here in Naples give you glory. How fun. How exciting. Not just that, he says in verse 19. He says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Sometimes we think about God's glory and his riches. There's a disconnect at times, but he says it's through Jesus. We love Jesus. We study Jesus. Jesus came born as a baby. He lived as a man. He abstained from sin and worldly lusts. And then he gave his life in a way of servanthood to others, sacrificially dying on the cross. Paul here is arguing to the church of Philippi. who would never met Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't see Jesus. He says, guys, it's Jesus. This is all for, uh, from him. He loves you. It's God's riches. It's his glory through Jesus Christ. This touch point. This t- I don't know how to help you falling more in love with Jesus and you can trust him no matter what you're going through in your life. Spending time with Jesus. Jesus was so approachable, so knowledgeable, so into what was going on in other people's lives. And Paul wants us to know, just in case you're wrestling with, I don't know if Jesus sees my needs. He does. He does. And your needs, where you're at right now, are set up perfectly to give him the most glory that you could possibly imagine. As a matter of fact, look at verse 20. He says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is all for Jesus' glory. This isn't just a way to end a letter properly if you're an apostle. This is a way of life. And now to God be the glory forever and ever. This is something that needs to continue to be one of your prime movers, your prime muscle groups, your prime focuses, your prime importance. Does this glorify God? Does this glorify God? Will this glorify God? Am I glorifying God? Will this bring glory to God? And if that's a question that you're comfortable with, a question that you're wrestling through, then no matter what you go through in life, and so here's my question for you, are you suffering right now? Stuff hard for you? Suffer well for his glory. 
Have you been misunderstood or maligned or falsely accused of something recently? Suffer well for Jesus. Have things not been perfect for you? Things aren't set up perfectly? Make sure Jesus is getting the glory even in those situations. Guys, he ends this letter now on a high note, loving the people around him. He says, verse 21, greet every saint in Christ. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Two things, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not something we watch. It's something we participate in. It's also not an isolation sport. It's something we do together. He says, hey, I'll greet all the saints. I'll read again just so you see this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, period. Isn't that cool? At the 8.30 time, we pray every morning, and I just love the, our trajectory for prayer. We pray for our services and the other churches in town. And I don't know what's going on at the other churches in town. It's not really my problem. But they love Jesus, and they're preaching out of the book, okay? And I love them, and I'm so grateful for them. And I think it's important and imperative that if you know a brother or sister, man, you just appreciate them. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He goes on in verse 21, and he says, the brethren who are with me greet you. This is a universal interaction. It's not to be done alone. He says, verse 22, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are in Caesar's household. There's much commentary on this verse, much speculation. Paul was in Rome, in Caesar's household, and people were getting saved. Why were they getting saved? Because Paul was there. Ain't nobody getting saved in Caesar's household, okay? You guys know Caesar. He was crazy, one of the worst people in the entire world. He wasn't producing believers in his lineage until Paul showed up. And Paul started loving on people, caring for people, ministering to them. And because the gospel of Jesus Christ does not return void, but it saves lives, Paul said in the book of Romans chapter one, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You believe that? Let me just make sure I don't have time to develop this thought. The gospel will save people. You can't. I can't. I actually, even on my best days, don't have enough love in me to save people, okay? It's just, it's, I mean, I wish I did. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So everywhere Paul, when he's like, hey, Jesus loves you. What? Now you, now, now you might struggle with that love for somebody. God doesn't. God loves them. And you might even struggle with loving certain people, like, oh, they're the worst family, or they're the worst place, or this is the worst town in the worst community. Can't be any worse than Caesar's household. Don't give up on people. And never choose to share or not share with people based on your love for them, but God's love for them. That'll change everything. I'm gonna be nice to my neighbor as soon as I feel like being nice to my neighbor. Might be a while, you know what I'm saying? But instead with obedience, let the gospel love everyone around you, even the people that are abusing you. The guys that were chained to Paul, I guarantee you weren't the nicest people and yet Paul loved them in Jesus' name and they ultimately became believers. And when Paul told this to the church at Philippi, hey, but, hey, hey, by the way, people are getting saved here. I want you guys to know that. That was to encourage them. That in Philippi, they'd say, are you serious? Caesar's people are getting saved? This is so powerful. And as we as a church continue to gather and start a school and launch on the hill and do all these things, we need to also, like Paul, believe that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. We have to believe that nothing has changed. You can judge the church any way you want and say it's lukewarm or it's this or that or it's busy or all these things. Jesus saves, period, amen? And Paul knew that. Paul illustrated that. And he says this, finally closing, he says, verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. It starts with grace. 
It continues with grace. It ends with grace. You guys know that? As you were saved, so walk in this way, Paul said to the church at Galatia. Speaking of grace, he asked him, when you got saved, was it you, or, was it you who saved yourself? Or was it the Holy Spirit? I'm just curious. And the obvious answer is, well, it was the Holy Spirit. And then Paul gets mad at him. He said, well, stay with the Holy Spirit then. God's riches at Christ's expense. And if you're like me, you've been a Christian for a while now, you've worked through some things, and, and maybe you're, you're glad you're not where you've been, praise God, but, but you're also not necessarily where, where you kind of wish you were, and yet God's grace is the vehicle that's gonna continue to take us there. God's grace. He's not gonna advance you too fast. He just won't do it. He knows what you need, but the Bible says from glory to glory, he's gonna continue the work he began in you. He won't stop, won't leave you, won't forsake you, Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Before I pray and, and close this out, just a couple thoughts from Philippians. We've been in this book for so long, I don't even know what's gonna happen next. I do actually, but anyways. Here's a point. Don't let your chains hold you back. Let them motivate you. Paul was incarcerated, chained up. So what did he do? Wrote the book of Ephesians. Wrote Philippians. Wrote Colossians. Wrote Philemon and saved a bunch of people in Caesar's household. <laughs> That's a pretty powerful vacation right there, isn't it? He's trained up. Things aren't going good for him. Don't let your chains hold you back. Let them motivate you. What kind of chains do we have? We have health problems. We have marital problems. We have financial problems. We have emotional, mental problems. We have political problems. There's all kinds of things that, oh, don't let your chains hold you back. Let them motivate you. Those chains actually provided a platform for Paul to shine even brighter. If you're waiting right now for something to change in your life, it might not change. It might be the chains that God has for you in order to lead your life and to live victoriously right there. Two more points and we're done. Number two, Paul had his mindset established on eternity, which allowed his footsteps and focus to remain unwavering when life was getting dicey. Throughout the epistle to the church at Philippi, Paul said, let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, your mindset. Your attitude determines your altitude. Your outlook determines your outcome. This isn't mind over matter nonsense. This is having the mind of Christ. We need Christians, especially right now, to be confident and to be courageous, no matter what's going on around us. Instead of running around, screaming the sky is falling, Paul, who had every right to complain, every right to give up, continued to have his mindset on things above. And finally, lastly, Paul, listen, saw himself in his life living for God's glory and for others' good. He told us that early on in the book in chapter one. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he argued with it. He said, you know what? I'd rather actually die. But it's better for you that I live. And while I'm here, my life is gonna be counted for gain. That's why I'm here. You only get one chance to live. Let's live it for Jesus. Let's pray right now and ask God to bless us and to let his word stir within us, his grace to lead us. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your mercy and kindness. Thank you for these closing thoughts toward the church at Philippi that Paul illustrated. Guys, I just want you to succeed. I want you to grow. I want you to be the best spiritual athlete you possibly can be. 
So I'm challenging you. I'm stirring you up. I'm asking you to go harder. I'm asking you to keep giving. I'm asking you to sacrifice. I'm asking you to love. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for South Beach Church that we would never resist your Holy Spirit. We would never resist the word of God. We would never resist those coaches and motivators in our life. But instead, we'd say, Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way or unfruitfulness in our life. Dig around that root system, Lord. Pour in the fertilizer. Call us to deeper waters, Lord, and to greater ground. Do greater things in our church, Lord, and in our lives than you've ever done. And would you forgive us of our sins? Maybe you're here this morning like, you know what? All this sounds great, but I'm just so out to lunch right now. I'm so off the path. I'm not engaged. I'm not giving. I'm not serving. I'm not sacrificing. I've just been, I don't know what I've been doing. And today's the day where you say, Lord, take it all again. And he's going to do it the same way he did it the first time, by grace. He's going to do it by grace for his glory and for others' good. If that's you, if you just need a restart this morning, a restart this morning, would you just raise up your hand right now? It might be the first time you're getting saved. It might be that you're already saved, but you know you need a restart in your marriage. You need a restart in your ministry. You know that the Lord is coming one day and he's going to inspect your fruits because he loves you. And that today's the day, he says, get with the program. Get with the program. Produce the fruit of God. Have the grace of God in your life right now. If that's you, just raise up your hand by way of confession. Lord, my hand is up too, and I, I just let you examine my heart. Those areas, Lord, where I'm out of balance, out of compliance, Lord, where you have called me to greater things. Maybe just while your hands are up or you're gonna raise your hand right now, you'd say, Lord, if you, he's called you to greater things than you're walking in, and you know it, and you know it. Holy Spirit, would you speak right now? By your grace and mercy. I thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down for your kindness and goodness toward us. Lead us, we pray, Lord. Next week, we're gonna be having church up on the hill, Lord. We trust you for that. We ask that you would, Lord, take the, take the land, Lord. Take the hill for your glory and for our good and that we would see you, Lord, glorified in the process. We give our lives to you, Lord. Make us strong, Lord, and yet make us humble and loving. Lead us as we go now. Bless the 11 a.m. services. are coming in hot, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Philippians, done. Only took us half a year. No big deal. Don't judge. Don't judge. Hey, guys, sign up for helping this week if you want. I don't see any sign-up sheets. Maybe there's one over here. Contact the church if you need. Other than that, we'll see you up on the hills. We're cleaning things up this week, especially beginning Tuesday. And we'll see you guys next week as well. God bless you. You are dismissed. Guys, we're not singing, but it's Shannon's birthday today as well. If you know Shannon, happy birthday, Shannon. Love you. Who else? Larry Holt's birthday too? Larry Holt's birthday. Man, this is like Ramblin' Rod. We got birthdays all over the place. Happy birthday, you guys.